Well, friends, how did you get here? How did you get here? I'm not asking how you got to church today, whether that was by planes, trains, or automobiles. I'm asking how did you get here in your life? How how have you gotten here in your life? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how this decision or that decision led to this situation and that situation and how every one of those decisions and choices and situations has brought you to this very place, right here, right now? I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite Price is Right games. I don't know if Price is Right, if you guys still watch Price is Right. I did growing up with Bob Barker. And one of the best games on the whole show was Plinko. You guys know Plinko? You drop this little token at the top and there's all of these pegs and the token hits all the pegs. And if it hits in right, just the right slot at the bottom, you win a million dollars or something like that or a brand new car. Sometimes life feels that way, doesn't it? That you're just bouncing back and forth between pegs and finally you end up somewhere and you're not really sure how you got there. And this is really the way that our culture tells us things work, that that it's an issue of a fate or chance or happenstance that you go from this way or that. And so my question for you this morning of how you got here is really a, a much broader question of is anyone really steering this ship? Is anyone really driving the boat of all of history and of your life personally. J.C. Ryle, that wonderful theologian, says that nothing whatever, whether great or small, can happen to a believer without God's ordering and permission. There is no such thing as chance, luck, or accident in the Christian's journey through this world. All is arranged and appointed by God, and all things are working together for the believer's good. Quoting from Romans 8.28 there. I think Ryle's on to something. But the reality, the question for us is, how can you know that? How can you believe that? How can that be something that, that you take up in your life that changes you and transforms you and impacts you? And that's really the question that we've been hitting at the last few weeks because the answer to that question, just to show you the cards from the beginning, is by faith. The only way that anyone can ever believe in such a a majestic and glorious God who orders not just our lives but all of life is by faith. This is something we've been thinking about now for several weeks. In our study of the book of Hebrews, we, we came to this word, this idea, this concept of faith back in chapter 10. 10.39, what do we find? That there is something that preserves our souls. That, that we are not, what does he say there? We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That those who march forward in the Christian life, that those who preserve in this world and on into eternity are those of faith. And so we've looked at now the last couple of weeks what this faith is. This is what he launched into in chapter 11 of this sermon. In verses 1 through 3 we saw that faith like this shows a certain assurance in things that are hoped for a certain confidence in things that are not yet seen. 
that to have faith is to have confidence in something that you don't actually see, something that has not yet happened. And primarily in the book of Hebrews, that is the coming judgment of God and the time when He will ransom and bring to Himself all of His flock. We've seen how faith is a gift from God that displays itself in, in, in following God and receiving His delight, what, what the author of Hebrews calls a, a commendation, commended, and awaiting the fulfillment of His promises. Last week we looked at, at, at several who epitomized this. And, and, and Abel, remember Abel, he, he came before God and he worshipped God rightly so that his sacrifice was accepted by God. We looked at Enoch. Enoch came before God and he, he walked intimately with God. He lived his life with God. And so he was commended. And the way that he was commended is that he didn't see death, but he was taken up to be with God. And finally, we looked at Noah, who displayed his faith by moving in obedience to God and building an ark for a flood that he had no concept of and he had never seen, and yet God told him was coming. We see how faith draws us to God and causes us to live in relationship with God and, and to move and act in service to God. But this morning we come really to the man of faith. We come to faith's greatest example and the one who takes up the majority of chapter 11 as a singular person. It is the man Abraham. Abraham is referenced 70 time, 72 times alone in the New Testament. He is spoken of over and over and over again in our New Testaments. And so it seems to, to me at least that, that understanding Abraham and his life and his faith is foundational for understanding the life that God has called us to. In fact, many of those 72 times is Jesus himself talking about Abraham. Abraham's been mentioned before here in the book of Hebrews. and In Hebrews 6.15 we read, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So for the next three weeks we're really going to be looking at and understanding how Abraham waited patiently and how he and his lineage, his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and all the nation of Israel inherited a promise that was made to him. So from the beginning, I could just offer you a suggestion. Maybe over the next few weeks, as you come on Sundays, be meditating specifically on Hebrews 11, 8 through 22. I've actually tweaked the preaching schedule a little bit because I came to my original passage this morning. It was much, much too much for me to preach in one sermon. And so we've tweaked it a little bit. And so we actually made new sermon cards that are in the foyer that lay out the next three weeks in our studies of Abraham in particular. So grab one of those and be meditating specifically on verses 8 through 22 of Hebrews 11. And the question I want us to keep asking as we come to this passage is why would Abraham and his family live like this? Why would they live like this? And why would the author of Hebrews think that it is important to bring up the way that they live? And what is the desire that God birthed in them to cause them to live in this way. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11. I'll again read verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 8 through 12 is what we're going to look at today. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible of your own or don't have a Bible of your own, you can always use the pew Bible there in front of you. 
Hebrews 11 is found on page 947 in that pew Bible. If you're new to the Bible, that's where we'll be. And friends, as you turn there, let me invite you to stand once more in honor of the reading of God's Word. Hear now the word of the Lord to us today from Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Then jumping to verse 8. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful, promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Friends, you see there in your bulletin, we're going to break this this passage up, these, these verses here in Hebrews 11, into three sections, really. And again, we're going to take the same posture we took last week of looking at what does this by faith actually do? How does it show itself? How does it reveal itself? So you see that we have three points there. By faith, we obey. We're going to look at this in verse 8. By faith, we sojourn. We'll think about that in verses 9 and 10. And by faith, we receive power in verses 11 and 12. And as we look at each of these, my prayer is that we would believe and trust and obey God, even when the outcome of our faith is uncertain and unseen. So let's begin by thinking about, by faith we obey from verse 8. You read it again, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now what is the author of Hebrews here talking about? If you're brand new to the Bible, who in the world is Abraham? And how does he know this? And how are we supposed to know what he's talking about? Well, we have to know our Bibles. So to give you the context, especially if you're new to the Bible, I want you to know this. Let me read to us from Genesis 12, the first book of the Bible. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we find Abraham introduced. We find him introduced at the end of chapter 11, and then his story begins in chapter 12 of Genesis. Here's what it says. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We find Abraham introduced here. We find him immediately being called. In the subsequent chapters of Genesis, you read about Abraham's travels. And we're going to talk about Abraham's travels here in a moment. But we find that he goes. 
That he goes, but, but that going is not just that Abraham moved on a whim. He thought it would be fun to, to move all over the wilderness and all over the valley and, and find new places and pitch tents and pick up the tent. He didn't love camping, is what I'm getting at. And yet he goes. He moves. Why? Well, we see something very foundational about the reality of faith. And Abraham didn't leave his home and his people without reason. We see a foundational truth here that there can be no faith there can be no obedience. There can be no moving where there's no call for it. And so we find a, a gospel reality held out that we serve a God who calls us primarily. That our faith is born out of God's call upon our lives to trust Him and to obey Him. And that's exactly what Abraham receives there in Genesis 12. In verse 1, we find this command to go out. Hebrews 11.8 says that when he was called to go out. But what is this command that he receives? Well, well, we see it there, that it was to leave and forsake all things to him that were, that were pleasant and useful and desirable. I mean, think about it. Look, those three things. Let me read them again. Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. It's almost as if it's this zeroing in that, God takes, that takes place in God's calling of Abraham. From your country, that is the land that you know. From your kindred, that is, that is your, your extended family that you know, your people. And then specifically from your very father's house, from your home. Now why would God call in this way? That's the real question. Why does God call Abram in this way to go? And friends, I believe it's because most often... God does this in, in our lives as well to press us outside of those places where we find comfort and rest and pleasure in this world. That God calls Abraham to go to leave the very comforts of his home and the passing rest that he found there. That God calls Abraham to go and leave the very benefits that he would have received in the working of, of, of his home and the place where he lived. To be around people who are just like you, in a place that is just like you, in a home that, that you love and is full of comfort, is a great temptation to settle. Like sediment on the bottom of the ocean, instead of moving by faith. And we see here then that Abraham's faith moved into a place of risk, did it not? Friends, we find a great reality about God's call on our lives of faith. That when God calls us to follow Him, He calls us to follow Him forsaking all others. In Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3, it says this, You know it well, many of you. I am Yahweh your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And this is exactly what God calls Abraham to be about. And friends, the reality for us that we have to come to terms with is unless we sense the greatness of God, that He is worthy to demand such allegiance, such obedience, such faith from us, we will not understand how such commands can come from Him. If we do not see how glorious He is, it will make no sense to us when God calls us out of our own comfort zones and our own creature comforts into a place of risk, into a place of faith. There will be no true obedience then. 
We will only obey as much as we feel comfortable doing. So the question for us is, is will our faith move to obedience if it means that we have to leave the comforts and benefits of our homes, of those places where we can find we can rest in this world? And, and maybe it's not a, a physical home. Maybe it's a, a, a mental home or, or, or it's a, a people, a kindred where you feel at home because they think like you and look like you. Friends, the reality, just to bring it back around, is that we cannot do this without the mighty calling of God, which propels us to come. The calling of God propels us to come. We read in Joshua 24 that Abraham and his family, they served these, these pagan gods. Abraham didn't grow up knowing about this Yahweh who was calling him. And yet, when God's mighty call came upon him, it had the effect that God intended it to have in drawing Abraham to him. He had no reason to come. He had his own gods that he was worshiping with his family. And yet, he goes. This, friends, is the powerful working of God's grace that enables him in faith to obey. The reality for us then is that we see that the church today only consists of those who are called out and come by faith. The church is made up of people, sinners as we are, who have began following Jesus by faith. But look at where God commands him to go into. Hebrews eleven eight to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. God commands him to go to the land that I will show you. Do you see Abraham's faith at work here? He, God doesn't say, here is the map, and here circles this little place. This is the place I want you to go. No, he says to him, I will show you the place I want you to go. He doesn't even tell him. He says, I will show you. And so it requires faith for him to go out to this place that God had in mind for him. But how is that place described? Look back at Hebrews 11. He was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. A place that he was to receive as an inheritance. A future inheritance. The place that God had called Abraham to go was a place of promise. The problem, the difficulty, the hardness of faith is that Abraham didn't see it in his life. This was not an inheritance that he received in his time. Yes, he, he ends up going to Canaan, but he does not make a home there. This land that is promised to Abraham, Abraham never lives in it permanently. It is a future inheritance. And this is God's way at times with us, friends, is it not? That we do not see the fruit of God's promises in our lives, but only hear of it. God says that He will be faithful and we wonder what is His faithfulness to us going to look like. God says that He was going to work all things together for our good, but what is that good going to look like? And friends, many times we do not see it. This applies so much to how we care for our children. That we are planting seeds in this time that will grow oaks that we don't see on this side of glory. So we see 
that the true inheritance here, the true promise, the true blessing is one that is, is spiritual. See, God told Abram that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This, this idea of, of bless, blessed, blessedness, is, is, a, is another kind of thread that runs throughout Scripture. But it's this word that, that we come to understand of, of completeness, of rest, of being made whole. And the promise here that's held out to Abraham that he must grab onto by faith is that through him and through his seed and through his lineage will all of the world and all of the nations find wholeness, find rest, find blessedness. Friends, this is the promise only finally and truly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That it is in His coming that the nations are truly blessed. This is why Jesus' greatest sermon that He preaches upon the mount begins with the Beatitudes, these blessed R's. It's because Jesus is the one who brings true blessedness. So we understand that faith is the only thing, as we see it in Abraham, that can carry us through the, all the difficulties of following Jesus. Abraham exemplifies us for us faith that follows and faith that obeys until we receive the full enjoyment of the promise of God. It is faith alone that can drive us forward in obedience. With a, with a real soul satisfaction in simply trusting God will fulfill His promises and reward those who obey Him with the treasure yet unseen. And so friends, for you and for me, it is only by faith that we can actually obey God. Do you understand that? For those of you who, who, who are more tempted to find your, your strength in yourself, that tend to walk by sight and not by faith. And as long as I can see it, and as long as I can do it, then I will obey. Please hear me that it is only by faith that you can obey God. This means that it's only by faith that we can abstain from all appearances of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 it, It's only by faith that we can flee youthful lust. 2 Timothy 2.22 it is only by faith that we confess our sins before a holy God, 1 John 1, 9. It's only by faith that we can be patient in times of trial and tribulation, Romans 12, 12. It is only by faith that we can be self-controlled, showing integrity and dignity, as we're commanded in Titus 2, 1 through 8. Husbands, it's only by faith that we can love our wives the way that Christ loves the church, Ephesians 5, 25. Wives, it is only by faith that you can submit to your husbands, letting your adorning be internal instead of external, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. Parents, it's only by faith that we can raise our children in the discipline, the padea, and the instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. And friends, finally and fully, it is only by faith that we can go into all of creation proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 16, 15. It is by faith that we obey. And it is only by faith that we can obey. This is what Abraham teaches us here in verse 8. But the question for you, going back to the introduction, that the author now answers is, what will faith 
that move to obedience actually lead to? What is the life that, that you will be taken on if by faith you begin to obey God? And that's what we find in the next two verses. After declaring Abraham as a man of faith, and then showing us how that faith responded to the call of God in obedience, now the author of Hebrews turns to tell us what a life of faith-filled obedience means for the follower of God. Look back at verses 9 and 10. Let me read them again. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There's a lot in these verses. Let's see if we can begin to, to understand them. We see really three things here, or, or kind of three subpoints, if you will, if you want to attempt to write these down. Here's what we see in these two verses. We see how he went, where he went, and why he went. See how he went, where he went, and why he went. How he went as a sojourner. That's why this point is by faith we, we sojourn. This is what we see in Abraham here. By faith he went to live. Now that word live there does not mean permanently dwell. In fact, it means quite the opposite. The word live there means that he went to dwell as a stranger. Literally as a sojourner. That he went to dwell and to live there temporarily. There's different uses of this New Testament word to describe Christians as strangers in a foreign place. We see here in this place where Abraham is called that, that he did not settle in that place, but he picked up and moved about. This is what Genesis 12, picking up in what I read earlier, verses 4 through 9, goes on to say. And catch this. Genesis 12 I'm not preaching this passage, but, but just to give you an understanding, if you want to go back this week and read Genesis 12, 1 through 9, it'll just, just see this. Verses 1 through 3, the call of God. Now picking up in verse 4, listen to how the author describes it. So Abraham went as Yahweh had told him. That's it. Abraham's very different than Moses in that sense. We believe that Moses wrote Genesis. So I wonder if Moses wrote it with a little grit in his teeth about this. Because you know when God calls Moses, he really wrestles with God about it. But when it comes to Abraham, the father of faith, this is why. God calls him in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 12. And in verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had commanded him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took his wife Sarai, his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, catch it here, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oaks of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there, not a house, but an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel to the, on the west and I to, on the east. And there he built an altar, not a house, an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going toward the Negev. What is the central theme 
of those five verses, Abraham moved. He journeyed on. He went. He kept going. This is how Abraham stepped out in faith. This is what his obedience looked like, that he was a sojourner. The chapters that follow after this in Genesis show us that he, he never settles, but he remains foreign in all of these lands. He lives without any demand then upon the promise that God has given him. Friends, I wonder how often we, in, in our sojourning in this world and in our traveling through as a peculiar people, strangers and foreigners to this place, as Christians looking to the home that is to come, do we demand our inheritance now? Very often we're like that younger son in the story of the prodigal sons, aren't we? That we demand that God gives us what He has promised right now, here in this place. We don't want to travel. We don't want to sojourn. We want to put down roots here. God, give us what we deserve. We can't wait till what's coming. We want it now. I don't know which character in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory that is, but it just came to me. It hit me. The one that she becomes a blueberry or the one that falls, she's the bad egg. It's my favorite kid's movie, sorry. But we see then how he went. Hebrews 11 says that he went living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And you guys know this term, especially those of you who have been here on Wednesday nights, this, this term tents, it, it's the term tabernacle. That he tabernacled, that he tented. He tented, he camped, he moved. Literally, he was living in these tabernacles. There are pitched tents with stakes and cords, and they're set up and tear down here to there. Now, we have to realize that for some, this was not a strange life to live. There were very many nations, even entire nations, entire people groups, who lived as nomads during this time. To pick up and move from place to place, it, it was not odd in this time. But this was not the way of Abraham. This was not his way of life. We're told that, that he lived in his father's house, that he lived in a country with kindred, that he had a permanent home, and yet by faith he changed his very way of life. We'll see why in the next verse. We see here that Abraham travels with everything he possesses from northern Mesopotamia to Canaan and on towards the Negev. He travels in this land of promise, this land that is later described as flowing with milk and honey, this land that is to him a foreign land, a land he's never been to. And on the one hand, this is the land that God said he would give him as an inheritance. It was a necessary land for the amount of people that would be blessed by Abraham. This is what they needed. It wasn't just that God said, oh, I think I'll give you land. No, they're going to need this land later on. But primarily it was necessary land for God's own dwelling place among His people. We remember this as we've been saying that God desires to dwell among His people. And so He's given them a land where He can come in, He can pitch His tent, He can tabernacle among them. Eventually in a temple that would be built there. What did this land look like to them then? And I think this is important for us to consider the temptations that we face in our own time. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, see if this doesn't sound like some of the same temptations that you face that, that Abraham would have faced in being called to sojourn and to go and to not call the world that he knew home. There they were without friends and relations. 
They had no permanent dwellings in the cities that they came upon. They, they, they had no say in the politics or the societies that they found themselves in. They were exposed to, to all sorts of dangers and, and oppression and violence. They saw plenty of evil and wicked things being done around them. And this is all made clear in that simple statement in Genesis 12, 6. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Those who had made this their home. And it's in all these trials that Abraham finds himself helpless. And so he was forced to live in a continual exercise of faith and trust in God. He had to believe that God was powerful and faithful enough to do all that he said. But friend, what of you? What of you? I believe that too much of the reason that we're seeing the judgment of God poured out upon our nation and nation like ours is because Christians for too long have lived as settlers instead of sojourners. We have made this our home. We have become friends with the world. And we have looked for ease and comfort of life in this world, resting here as settlers. But this is the application of sojourning by faith, as Abraham has taught us. When we are brought to God and believe on Him for life, it means following Him fully. As I said a moment ago, forsaking all others, wholly and universally following Him, living by faith in all things. All things. Have you considered how in faith the decisions and the choices that you make show where you are putting your faith? What we do with the, the money that we earn, receive. What we do with the children that God blesses us with. What we do when we gather together here or in one another's homes. What we do when we see a brother or sister in sin. How we build up our spouses and our co-workers and our neighbors. Where we live, what we eat, how we educate. All of these things are matters of faith, matters of great consideration and prayer. Settled mentally, uh, sorry, a settled mentality that sees this as our home can slip into various areas of our lives if we don't keep watch over them. Remembering that something better is held out for us, that this is not it. That we don't have to pull all our hopes in the world and hope for the best. This is exactly what he holds out in verse 10, isn't it? Look back there. For, that's the reason word, right? Why? For, because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, we also saw the who here, Isaac and Jacob, but we're going to get back to them, so I'm going to slide on past them. They're called heirs of the promise. We'll come back to them. But why did he go? Why did he sojourn? Why did he travel 
through the promised land. For he looked to that city with a foundation. There's a contrast drawn here, right? That Abraham dwelt in tents, no foundation. Because he was looking to a city that had a foundation. He was able to not put down roots in this land because he trusted God for a city that was to come. It wasn't just any city. It wasn't just any home, but one that God himself built and made. It's so interesting here how the author of Hebrews continues to bring up this, this concept of God as creator. It's how he began in Hebrews 11, 3, that God created the universe. And he brings God up here again as a creator, as a builder, as a maker. The very foundation of our trust in God comes from the fact that, that, that He can do whatever He pleases, that He can build and make and create whatever He desires. And so if He makes a promise, He's going to keep it because He's all-powerful and good. The author is saying, Abraham's eyes then looked beyond the tents and stakes and the fields and the flocks. This is a summary of Abraham's faith. But it, could it be said of you? Where are your eyes? Where is your mind? Where is your heart? Are you storing up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust and thieves are not found? Dads, how are we training our children in this way? Are we helping our children put their hope in the city that God will one day build or in the world around us? As we share the gospel with our neighbors and co-workers and our family? Are we making false promises in this world that God will bless you in this life and give you everything that you desire? Is this how we share the gospel? Is this what the gospel is? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Friend, let me seriously ask you, what treasure are you hoping to keep upon this world? Because one of two things is going to happen. Well, one of three things. One, either that thing's going to break. Two, you're going to break. Or three, Jesus is going to return. So how do we receive then the strength to press against fields of hope in this life? That's the last thing we see in verses 11 and 12. By faith we receive power. Look back at Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. We're introduced to someone new. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now there's some debate among theologians and smart guys about who exactly these verses are about. And I'll talk about um, in just a second why some think that it's not Sarah. But very clearly from the, the Greek itself, and, and I think the English Standard Version does a well job here translating it, it's made clear that, that it is Sarah's faith that is now commended. That's how verse 11 begins. By faith Sarah herself, or, or also Sarah by faith received power. We find this same 
idea throughout the book of Genesis, but in particular we're told in Genesis 17, 15 through 17, exactly who Sarah is. Let me read that for us. It said, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, her name gets changed too, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall a Sarah who is ninety years old bear a child? Here we're introduced to their son's name for the first time. Isaac, son of laughter. Abraham laughed. Why does he laugh? Because he's a hundred years old? Sarah's ninety years old. They're old. But what do we find in these verses that causes Abraham to laugh, but that causes God more joy, more laughter from him? The great faith of Sarah also exercised in the power of God that she received in it. That God is able to do whatever he desires. Look at how faith, or I'm sorry, look at how power came upon Sarah there in verse 11 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Now, this is important. Don't miss this. We, those of us who have read through the Bible and know the story of Abraham and Sarah, we just skim right over this, but it's central to understanding the gospel in the book of Genesis. How did Sarah receive power? Well, God didn't beam down Isaac. God didn't give her power to make trees grow. No, God gives her power through her very womb. And this is central to understanding the book of Genesis. Remember, we talked about this past Wednesday. What is the book of Genesis all about? It's about creation, it's about the fall, and it's about the hope of a seed. It's exactly how God worked in Sarah's life of giving her the hope of a seed. God had promised Eve back in the garden that a seed would come. Come back to that in just a moment. But we see here with the womb of Sarah is exactly what we should expect to do. Abraham and Sarah then would go and they would try to use another womb to fulfill the promises of God with Hagar. But we see here the promise of God is that Sarah herself is going to receive power. That it is Sarah's womb. Why did God choose that? And why was Abraham and Sarah's desire to, to fulfill God's promise through Hagar such a problem? Because Hagar's womb was just fine. It was Sarah's womb that was barren. It was her age. And being past her ability to have children that made her a prime candidate for God to show His power. To display how His intention was to bring the seed of blessing in the end would only be able to be attributed to His work alone. Friends, in some ways here we're reminded of the preciousness of a godly seed. In a culture that, that hates the womb, in a culture that, that, that hates children and sees them as a giant inconvenience that we should just pacify until they turn 18 and go off and do whatever they want, we are reminded here how much we must delight in the womb and delight in the children that God gives us because it is God's reminder of His power and His promise. 
And we're reminded here that it's not just any womb. Hebrew, I'm sorry, Genesis 18, 14. This is what Jesus, uh, what God says to Sarah. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Reminded that it's God who lo- alone who acts in this woman's womb, much like He did in the womb of Mary through the Holy Spirit. We're told there in Genesis that Sarah was well past her childbearing years. In Genesis 18, 11, it says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. By all accounts, it's saying here that she had gone through menopause, that the way of women was clear past her at this time. Sarah simply then receives Isaac. That that there is nothing that she is able to contribute to the bringing of this baby except the womb that will carry him. That it is all God who is acting here. And friends, the reality then we see is that God often acts in ordinary means, but He's not required to. That He does act in extraordinary ways. And so we are reminded then that, that Sarah's physical limitations by her age point forward to the reality that, that God is able to overcome any limitations that we may find. That God is able to work in any situation, no matter how bleak and how dark. Beyond physical limitations to to spiritual limitations. Those of you who are wrestling with friends and family that you desire to see, to repent and to come to know Jesus and put their trust in Him, you are reminded here that God is a God who overcomes any limitation that He is able question then, why does this power come upon Sarah? Why does it come upon her? And I think this is where this whole passage is building. Did Sarah actually have faith? Did she actually have faith? I mean, any of you who have recently been in the Bible reading plan, we read through Genesis a couple months ago. Did Sarah really have faith? I mean, wasn't it Sarah that when God's word came to her there in Genesis 18, that she laughs in the tent? And God says to Abraham, why did, your la- why did your wife laugh? And she's like, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. I'm God. I know all things. I don't... Yeah, you laughed in the tent. So can we say that Sarah actually had faith? This is why many theologians argue about this passage. is because they would say, no, Sarah didn't have any faith. He's actually talking about Abraham's faith here working through Sarah. But I think that's wrong. We see here that while her faith faltered in that moment at the audaciousness of God's promise to bring a seed from her womb, it found its sure footing throughout the rest of her life. It says here, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That word considered, it's used all throughout the book of Hebrews. We've talked about it before. It means determined and resolved. We find throughout the rest of Sarah's life that she takes God's promise for her own. And this is what faith does. It takes possession of the promise. It takes hold of what God has said and it receives the power that God gives in holding on to all the promises that He has made. There's also an application here for women. Sarah is one of the two women that are mentioned here 
in Hebrews 11. We see that there is a promise of power and strength and fearlessness that women are to take up just as Sarah does. This is what Peter brings up in 1 Peter 3. What does it say there? Peter writes to the women, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. He's not saying don't wear those things. He says don't let that be your adorning. Don't let that be what holds out as what makes you beautiful. What makes you a glorious woman should not be your physical appearance, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Women, you know all too well that in the world's sight, that's ugly. But hear the promise of God here, that in His sight, a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious. Not just precious, very precious. For this is how the holy women of old who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What do we see in Sarah for you women specifically? A woman with a gentle and quiet spirit, but who was fearless was not afraid of anything frightening. Oh, that God would give us women with this kind of bravery, that they trust by faith in the promises of God and have received His power so much that they don't even have to say anything, but can live a gentle and quiet life because they know the one who will care for them and carry them safely through. And so finally we get to verse 12. It's truth that we're going to spend the next two weeks exploring. That through the faith of Abraham and Sarah, God set out to bless the nations and create an inheritance for Himself as the stars in the sand. We see partial fulfillment of this in the nation of Israel for sure, but there is a final fulfillment. The weight of this promise and its fulfillment can only be found in remembering the very promise of Genesis 3.15. Not just that God would give Eve a seed like He promised to give Sarah, but that that seed that God would give Eve that would come generations after generations after generations later would be a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. And so the spiritual blessing of all nations becomes what we know as the church of Jews and Gentiles gathered together for God. Paul picks this up in Galatians 3, 5 through 9, where he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
So friends, what we have in the faith of Abraham, this man of faith, and in his wife Sarah, the mother of faith, is the very gospel held out to us. Friends, what exactly was it that Abraham believed God would do? What exactly did Abraham believe God would do? Three things. That he would give him a land beyond what he could see or imagine. That he would give him a seed that would conquer and crush all sin and brokenness and set things right. And that he would give him an inheritance of nations gathered together for God's glory. And friends, what is it that Jesus Christ came to do? It's exactly how Christ fulfilled the promise to Abraham. Christ came to bring the very kingdom of God at hand. And though we sojourn through this world, there will come a day when Christ returns and establishes that blessed promised land, that new Jerusalem that will be forever. Christ will do this because He is the seed that came and crushed the head of the serpent upon the cross. And He is the one who is now calling all nations to Himself as a people of faith, children of Abraham. Friends, it's when we see this by faith, we become people, no matter where God leads us, no matter how you get from here to there, to the end of your days, when we see that this is our God, we will obey Him in faith wherever He calls us to sojourn, receiving the power of His Holy Spirit. And we do so with our eyes cast like Abraham's were to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. May he likewise build our faith in these days. Let us pray. Father, we come before you asking that you would give us the mighty gift of faith in our own hearts and in this body, that as we sojourn, that as our houses and our homes and our jobs and even the facilities here are not our final place, they are not the promised land, Lord, that we would have eyes to see that you are a God who is designing and building a new heavens and a new earth where we will reside with you for all eternity, Lord. Give us faith to see it, that we may trust in the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.